ninth grade, I was Tom Thumb. And, uh, yeah, someone laughed. Okay, go ahead. Everybody can laugh. That's fine. Sorry. I'm not insecure. Uh, yeah, I was Tom Thumb. I sang a song called Bigger Isn't Better um, and did a little dance. I'm not doing that this morning. And you can all thank me later. Um, but uh, today I want to talk to you, uh, uh, just flip that over and say bigger is better. Um, there's a picture on the screen, it doesn't really do it justice. Uh, last, uh, last week at this time, I was floating the bays of Lake Ontario, or yeah, Lake Nipissing in Ontario uh, for Northern Pike and Largemouth Bass. And um, it's about seven hours north of here. And I've been up probably, oh, 25 or 30 times now. I go up three times a year, uh, at least, hopefully. And um, something never changes. And it's usually when, and again, pictures don't do it justice, but it's, it's that moment when the boats, we know the motor's working, you get in the boat and you take out of the marina, you come around the corner, as soon as I get around that corner and you go out, into big water, big sky. It's usually at that moment I just lose it. Uh, I, I, just, I just lose it. I'm overwhelmed by the majesty and the beauty of God. And uh, sometimes I'll even, sometimes I even cry. I know that sounds crazy, but it's just, you're, all of a sudden, all of the little complaining uh, the, the struggles, the stuff at work, the stuff at wherever you are, just, just kind of melts off of you. <laughs> and you just sit there thinking, man, I am really small. And God is so big. And uh, you just you, you hope, I would love it if you all would get a taste of that. Um, just higher things, you know. Um, and yet, we don't, I don't live on Lake Nipissing, but it's, it's just easy, isn't it, to get caught up in um, the smallness of our lives. It's easy to get caught up in small life, job, family, house, property, wake up the next day and do it all over again. You know, that's just that's the way it is. Living the dream. <laughs> but you do it, you know, right? We get caught in that grind. And there's something about the smell of the air and the pine and everything that just kind of uh, sets me free. Um, I'm here to show you today, or I'm here today to show God is calling us and saying to us that bigger is better. And I think we've sometimes, we settle for small. We live in the small. And, you know, I think it's some of it's because small is more manageable. We've made downsizing, we've made downsizing into like an art form. Um, and we like it because it's small and we can control it. But God is saying big. I'm going to read Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 10. Uh, you can turn with me there if you like. Um, Acts 10 and 11, I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm not used to doing that, and I don't usually do that, but it's just a big story, and rather than tell the story, I'm going to read it, and then I'll kind of walk you through that. So Acts chapter 10, 
Um, and uh, we're going to be, Acts chapter 10 and 11 is this whole thing. And um, we're going to take a look at how God is pushing us out to be bigger. Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who said to him, Cornelius, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come as a memorial offering before God. Now send, me, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and devout soldier who was one of the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now Peter and Joppa, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down by the earth in its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not. <laughs> Peter objecting. What a surprise. Uh, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not Call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about what the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon was known as Peter was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, the three men, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. What have you, why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have, to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I, so when I, was sent for, I came without raising any objections. And down to verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The 
This story, which brings Peter from where he was to where he needed to be, is just great. Peter's thinking was confronted. Does anybody else find it humorous that uh, the vision was three times? <laughs> he had to show Peter the vision three times? You might get that later. Uh, and then he objected, of course. God was trying to help him to think better, to see better, and to think better. And this was much more about Peter's relationships than it was his diet. The narrow, small-mindedness was being confronted. In some ways, a reminder of Pentecost that, in fact, I will pour out my spirit on all people. God needed Peter to get this message, so he did it three times. Then seems to be then seems to immediately challenge him with this by sending a centurion and centurion servants to his house, almost as if to say, "Okay, uh, let's see if he gets it." Isn't that fun? It's just humorous to me. I mean, he gives him this vision, and then all of a sudden, there you go, centurion knocking on the door. What are you going to do? Bigger is better. See, oftentimes God chooses to get his point across through images. What he was doing here to challenge Peter's posture towards people is meant to challenge our posture and treatment of people as well. It seems as if God was trying to right the ship uh, from Acts 9 to 11 with, with, with the call of Paul and the adjustment of Peter. To reinstitute what we know in Luke when he says, when Jesus first came, he says, I have come to proclaim freedom for the captives and release to the prisoners. Help to the oppressed. And in Matthew, when Jesus says, um, he went through all the towns and villages and showing great compassion because he knew they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Acts chapter 1 where he says, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Bigger is better. Smallness or narrowness can become an epidemic. Everybody stays in their own lanes. Isn't it easy to get locked into your week? Work, family, house stuff. All these are good things. You know, I'm not they're not bad things, and they're things we must do. They're responsibilities. But work, family, house stuff, vehicle maintenance, property maintenance, checkbook balancing, bills, cleaning the house, schoolwork, hobbies, like a tractor beam, <laughs> or like a horse with those things on. I don't know what they're called. Did you see, see the horse, and they got the, yeah, the blinder. Blinders, wow. <laughs> you want to come up and extrapolate on that a little bit? <laughs> That'll preach. Blinders, wow. Who knew? But we get like that. We get shrunk in. And it's almost suffocating at times. Uh, when I was sharing with John just briefly about Canada, I was just like, <sighs> and John said, it sounds like escape. <laughs> you, know, you know, because there is that part of us, we just get locked in. And I believe that this vision to Peter is a vision to us as well that God wants to, is, is working hard to push us out to bigger, to enlarge, to broaden. 
when we've settled for narrow and small. Hang with the same, all the same people who believe like we do, who think like we do, or of our own race and our own sexuality. We've made downsizing an art form. Small is more manageable. And yet faith, by its very nature, is when we put someone else in control. Faith, by its very nature, is when we put someone else in control. When we live a life where the parameters are not set by us. In this scripture, the massive, impartial God is always trying to push us out to broaden and enlarge. Peter's smallness included a partial God. He saw God as favoring one side in a dispute over the other. And God steps in to enlarge. Um, Richard Rohr, who I would encourage you to read everything he's written. Um, just, just a quote from his book, The Divine Dance. Uh, a tremendous book. Most of us don't know how to be diverse and yet one. In unhealthy religion, we've this, felt this pathological need to make everybody the same. Church has become more and more an exclusionary institution instead of this great banquet feast where Jesus constantly invites in sinners, outcasts, the marginalized, and the ne'er-do-wells. Jesus says, in effect, Go out to the highways and the byways. Bring everybody in, good and bad alike. Check it out, Matthew 22. I didn't make that up, all right? It's from Jesus. But we don't like that, do we? We don't want those people in here with us. Maybe send some money or some missionaries over there, over there to them. But please don't bring them here with us. However, our little, our little culture has defined the bad people as the, those others. Because the ego is much more comfortable with uniformity. People who look like me and talk like me don't threaten, don't threaten my boundaries. What a contrast to the Trinitarian God who totally releases all claims of such, on such boundaries for the sake of each other. Each member accepts that they are fully accepted by the other. This might well be the essence of the spiritual journey for all of us, to accept that we're accepted and go and live likewise. Good words. Peter enlarges. In verse 28 and verse 34, he says the same thing. Um, Verse 28 says, He said to them, you are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile and visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. In verse 9 of chapter 11, it says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The voice from heaven in chapter 11, verse 9. Peter enlarges. Later in Acts chapter 15, Peter addresses the council of Jerusalem by saying, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Or as Bono from U2 pens in his song Invisible, there is no them, there's only us. Bigger is better. Don't you love Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 22? He himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by putting death to their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people in God's household. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. Bigger is better. This massive, impartial God, this massive heart of God beckons us to not live small lives closed in on our work week, our schedule, and are all the same people in the same circles, and he's calling us out. He's imploring us, he's beckoning us out to broaden and enlarge and to welcome. Deuteronomy, see how quick my, Deuteronomy 10, 19 Deuteronomy 10, 19 says this. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Leviticus. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34 says this. When an alien lives with, with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your own native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. Bigger is better. Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 44. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 1 Peter First Peter 4, 8, and 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We know koinonia and hospitality are two different things, right? Koinonia is fellowship. That is with the fellowship of believers, which is important. But sometimes I think that we are 99% fellowship and 1% hospitality. And if we are hospitable, it's hospitable to people like us. It's like the Vosses. I love having the Vosses over because they're great people. But that's fellowship. And God's calling us to be hospitable. God is calling us to broaden, to enlarge. He's calling us out instead of enclosing us in. Hospitality is friendly and welcoming to strangers. The friendly and generous reception 
and entertainment of strangers. When do we welcome the stranger? When we always only welcome into our lives the same people who look like us, believe like us, we are living small. Are we open to being open? Small is manageable, and we have a tendency to stay away from things that are unmanageable. Some would call those people boat clingers. <laughs> Peter was a boat clinger at one point, and then he enlarged, and he stepped out. When will you step out? When will we step out? God is calling us out. Yeah, he's calling us out on the waters. Um, and he's got big plans because God's got a big heart. And he wants us to be open. He wants us to, to quit the smallness and narrowness. This uh, passage in Second Corinthians, and then uh, we're going to uh, be ready to enter into a time of communion. Uh, I like this uh, passage in 2 Corinthians. It sets it well up for communion as well. Um, but this is such a great word. And let this, let this set us on our way um, to living bigger lives. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for them and was raised again. So now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your saving grace. Uh, forgive us, Lord, when we've settled uh, and nestled in uh, and narrowed in to our own lives and have forgotten and have missed the fields and the expanse and the beauty and what you're calling us out to I know that's uncomfortable for us, Lord, but you cannot be contained. And people need to know that they can be set free. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that your love would compel us. I pray that you would move us out for the sake of the kingdom. We ask this in... In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.